It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 3-1-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're a part of it on this Thursday evening, October 16th, 2008. My name is Jacob Gwynn and I'm joined by my father, Greg Gwynn. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight for our Virtual Bible Study. Every Thursday night, we look forward to this online Bible study group. We're glad to be a part of it. Glad that those who are out there listening can join in as we study from God's Word. We're especially glad that you're listening tonight, and we look forward to hearing from you on the phone at 877-381-4567 or send your comments or questions to questions at collegeview.com. We have an important subject tonight and a subject that is a source of much confusion and error in teaching and practice in uh, the New Testament or in the in the times today in, in current times right. right and and the question is what does the new testament teach about such that's times? right we're going to talk about premillennialism I, I imagine most who are listening have a good idea in their mind or a, a fair idea at least of what's meant by the term uh premillennialism we're going to talk about that on our study tonight and uh, as we typically do on thursdays we send out a a polling question we send out a uh, sort of a heads up to the people on our mailing list as to our topic, and we were seeking input. Uh, We asked two questions. Those questions, by the way, are up on our website. So on the very page where you clicked on to listen to the virtual Bible study tonight, we have a form that you can fill out. We're trying something new there, Jacob, a form where you can fill it out and send it back. Just submit it to us to to give us your input on our study question for the night. Uh, You can tell us if you like that or not. If you want to go back to the the old email method, we're not sure if we like it yet or not, but we're trying something new. And and so there's a form there on the website. If you're on our mailing list, you've got it in your email box today asking these questions. Do you believe that the Jews are still God's chosen people and that they hold a special place in his plans for a future kingdom on earth? That was one of our questions. The second question is, will Jesus literally reign for a thousand years over a physical kingdom on earth? Why or why not? So we're asking those questions, and those questions have to do with this subject that's often referred to as Premillennialism. We want to hear what you have to say. Uh, if you have not responded already to our questions, uh, we hope you will. In fact, just there on the website where you clicked on to listen to the program tonight, go there and, and uh, give us a couple of quick answers and hit the submit button and we'll get it in our, in our inbox. We'll be ready to include your thoughts on the program tonight. All right. Premillennialism, premillennialism is a $5 word. Why don't you uh, define that for us and explain what we're talking about? Well, Jacob... Uh, what I've done is I've drawn a little graph or a little chart up here on the board, and I want to I see if I can explain this uh, a little bit. There's a lot of ins and outs about premillennialism. Different people who hold to the view hold different ideas about the view. And so sometimes we just have to talk with, about the general concepts instead of the particulars. So I've drawn a little chart up here on the board, Jacob, and I want to see if I can illustrate uh, what we're talking about when we talk about premillennialism. Premillennialism, talks, the concept starts back here at the time of Christ, and the notion is that when Jesus came to begin 
his work that he actually intended to set up a kingdom on earth. It's what the Jews had expected. They were looking for someone to come and restore the kingdom of Israel. And they were expecting Jesus to do that. Uh, he actually intended to do that. But because the Jews rejected him, at least the leadership of the Jews rejected him and crucified him, that wasn't part of the original plan. It wasn't planned that he'd be crucified, but instead when they crucified him, he was unable to succeed in accomplishing his purposes. He had to sort of retreat, go to plan B. Plan B was that the church would be established as a a stopgap measure, an interim measure. There would be a, a period of time known as the church age. Most premillennialists say that we're still in that church age at this present time. Now, they believe that at some point in the future, and most of them these days are saying very soon in the future, we are in these immediate days. This is going to happen real soon, they claim, that there's going to be an incredible event. It's often referred to as the rapture. What's going to happen is the, the righteous dead are going to be resurrected, And the living dead are going to be raptured away. They're going to go away to be with the Lord. The the rapture is a concept not taught in the New Testament, uh, but it is very commonly believed by premillennialists that that at this time in the future, the the righteous dead will be resurrected. The living dead will be caught away. I I haven't seen it in a long time, but years ago there used to be a bumper sticker, Jacob, wherein it said, in case of the rapture, this car will be unmanned. And the idea was that this guy, he's, he's a saint, he's a Christian, he's driving along down the road and suddenly the rapture happens, he just disappears. The car goes careening off the road and crashes because they don't have any driver anymore. They believe that just that instantaneously, the righteous will be called away to be with the Lord. There was a preacher on television, I, I don't remember his name, but uh, he was a very fairly well-known uh, televangelist. He was going to ride on the bottom of his shoes one shoe he was going to write, ha-ha, and on the other shoe he was going to write, told you so. So that was he so going he was up in the rapture, away. you'd see the bottom of his shoes, and he would have this would be laughing in your face. Okay. There actually was a, a fairly popular series of books and movies made uh, from the books called the Left Behind series. And the idea of that series was what would happen after these had been taken away, after the righteous had been taken away to be with the Lord, what would happen to those who were left behind? They typically argue that there will be a terrible uh, period of great tribulation on the earth for seven years, a period of tribulation for seven years, because all the good people have been taken away, and only the bad people are left. So there's going to be a lot of tribulation on earth for seven years. At the end of the seven years, the Lord's going to return. He's going to come with his righteous saints, with his angels. There's going to be a tremendous battle, a battle of all the forces of good and evil against one another. They're going to say that this is what's described in the book of Revelation as the Battle of Armageddon. There's going to be this great fight. It's going to be an enormous worldwide battle. Jesus will be victorious, it is claimed. At that time, he's going to set up his thousand-year reign here on earth. He's going to reign as a king here on earth. In fact, the throne of David will be reinstituted in the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus will reign upon it for a thousand years. There's the millennium. There's the millennial part of premillennialism. At the end of that thousand years comes the final judgment. The the rest of the dead will be resurrected, the evil. The righteous were already resurrected back here at the rapture. But there will be a resurrection of of the rest of the dead, the evil dead. There will be the final judgment, and then souls will be assigned either to heaven or to hell. Now, this thousand-year reign, this millennium, comes before the final judgment 
and thus it is pre-millennialism. That's where the name gets it. Now, now there are different twists and turns on that theory. Some people think that the judgment will come first and the, and the millennium will come after. Those are post-millennialists. But most people believe in premillennialism. There'll be this thousand-year reign of Christ and then the final judgment. And so that chart, while really a simplification, Jay, we'll go back to this other microphone. All right. That chart, while a, a pretty simplified look at it, I think gives a basic outline of what's believed by premillennialists. Now, we ask the question, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is going to literally reign on earth for a thousand years over a physical kingdom? Why or why not? So if you haven't answered that question, we hope that you'll do so. Um, you might want to comment about some of the various aspects of that theory of premillennialism that we just outlined. For instance, you might want to comment about the rapture or the tribulation. Uh, you might want to talk about the idea of the righteous being resurrected and a thousand and seven years later, the evil being resurrected. There's something to be said about that. We'd be glad for any comments that you have about premillennialism. That's the topic we want to discuss on our program tonight. All right. Give us a call. Send us an email. We look forward to hearing from you. Jake, we might, before we get into any further discussion of this, we might give a, a little uh, uh, advertisement for something new that we've tried this past week and get some favorable response to it. We put a video out on YouTube uh, those who were listening last week, you might remember that we, near the end of our program, we did just a separate little 10-minute segment talking about baptism and whether or not a person needs to be baptized. And we posted that, well, it's just short of 10-minute video on YouTube, and we're getting a, a, a fair degree of play uh, there as people find that video and are, are uh, uh, listening to it. So you might look for us on YouTube. You might want to suggest some other Brief little topics, basic doctrinal topics that we could discuss to put on YouTube. If you have an idea how that might be used, send us an email. We'd be glad to get your input. But look for us on YouTube. That's something new we're trying. All right. So we had the question, will Jesus reign for a thousand years over a physical kingdom on earth? Why or why not? We're looking forward to hearing from you on that question. Then you ask another question, Dad. And uh, let me ask you, how are these related? You said, do you believe that the Jews are still God's chosen people? and they will hold a special place in his plans for the future kingdom on earth. How are those two questions related? Most premillennialists think that during that thousand-year period of time when Jesus is reigning on earth, that the Jews will be brought back into a, a, a right relationship with God. In fact, many premillennialists believe that this, this reign of Jesus on earth, the reestablishment of Israel on earth, is a, is a necessary thing because God has promises that he made to Israel that he has not yet fulfilled. And so, especially, for instance, they'll say back in the Old Testament, God made promises to Israel about the land that they would occupy. And they never occupied all of that land. And so there needs to, of course, God always keeps his promises. God can't lie. And so since God can't lie, there's going to be this future time in which the kingdom will be reestablished and it'll give an opportunity for God to fulfill those promises. So most premillennialists think that the Jews still hold a favored status in God's plan for things and that he has promises yet to still fulfill in regards to the so nation of Israel. So it goes back to your chart there where Jesus came and was his plans were thwarted and he didn't get to set up that kingdom, but he really wanted to set up a physical Israel. Right. So, so now then the children of Israel would still have to be acceptable to God because at some point they're going to they're gonna be the... The, the nation that's set it's up. Gonna, that nation is going to be reestablished. Okay. Now, this this has some real political overtones uh, because I think, and, and different ones have commented, you might want to comment about this, give us a call, send us an email, 
Different ones have suggested that one of the reasons that our foreign policy is the way it is as as a nation, the United States, that our fo- foreign policy is influenced by this concept, that the Jews are still favored in God's plan and that he intends to do something special for them and with them. Therefore, we, the United States, need to stay on good terms with them to help God accomplish his purposes and so that we'll be in the right position when this all takes place. I thought it was interesting earlier this week, Jesse Jackson was quoted as having said, if Barack Obama is elected president, then all these many years, these decades of favoritism showed toward Israel are going to go away. And so if you were watching the news this week, you may have picked up on that. Jesse Jackson was saying, we're not doing that anymore. But but the implication was we have been doing that and we're not going to do that anymore. And that really got some people stirred up. Because there are plenty of people who think we need to stay on good terms with Israel because of this theory of premillennialism. And so it is definitely a current events kind of thing. It has it even has political overtones. But, Jacob, uh, let's let's start talking about this, uh, this theory. And I, I think we can, again, we have to talk in general terms because until we uh, deal with an individual we may not know all the specific ideas they have about premillennialism. But in general. Well, we could say concerning the idea that God has unfulfilled promises to Israel. That's not so. Uh, the Bible says that God gave them everything he promised to give them. And so this whole argument that there has to be a future time in which the nation is reestablished is not so. God gave Israel everything he planned to give them. All right. So we remember there were three promises that God made to the children of Israel, the land, seed, and promise uh, uh, promises the so, nation that he promised he promised Abraham beginning in Genesis 12 three things the, the promise was repeated uh, several times to to Abraham and his descendants that they would become a great nation many people that they would occupy a land and that through them through their seed all nations would be blessed and that is the coming of the Messiah the right. coming of the coming of the Savior all right let's take the first one then the great nation when did that when was that fulfilled well uh, they were a great nation under under the the three kings Sol, Saul, David, and Solomon. But especially under David and Solomon, they surely were a great and powerful nation. They were more than likely in the days of Solomon the most powerful nation in the world. And so that that promise was certainly fulfilled. We know the land promise was fulfilled. That was fulfilled way before the kings. That was fulfilled uh, in the days of Joshua in Joshua chapter twenty one. Verse 43, it says, The Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. And so uh, the idea that there's something still lacking and that God has to have a future opportunity to fulfill the promises he hadn't kept yet just simply doesn't fit. That's an important text. If you don't have that marked in your Bibles, you may want to make special note of Joshua chapter 21. Verses 43 and 45, I think it's very clear in teaching what the truth is about God's promises to Israel. And then, of course, the third part. So they were a great nation. They received all the land promised. The third promise was that through them, the Messiah would be born. Through them, all nations of the earth would be blessed. And certainly that happened with the coming of Jesus. So the the, the three-part promise to Abraham that was passed on to his descendants Certainly has come true. There's nothing left that God hasn't done that He promised to do to Israel. You know, and we go back to that nation promise there, Dad, where they said they would believe that we need to have that nation 
uh, that Jesus will come back and fulfill the nation promise. In, in Genesis chapter 46, verse 3, we see that the nation promise was fulfilled when they went down to, the, the, to Egypt. They were, it was foretold that that promise would be fulfilled there. Genesis 46, verse 3, uh, and he said, I am God, the, uh, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down unto Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. So as you know, we know in their Egyptian captivity, the Egyptians were fearful of them because of their great number. And the, the and when you count and when they left Egypt 400 years later, their numbers were in the hundreds of thousands, if not a million plus when they left Egypt. Well, actually, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 22, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 22, it says, Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons. So 70 people went into Egypt. And notice what it says. And now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. So there's that promise fulfilled that the, the nation would be as, as the stars of heaven and the sands of the seashore. Exactly right. So the first part of their argument that this, ha- this theory that we have described has to happen and there has to be a future restored Israel. There has to be a physical kingdom on earth in order for God to keep promises he hadn't kept yet. Doesn't work. Doesn't doesn't match with the scriptures. David, I think we're up. Uh, we to are. We're past break the break. Time. Not the paying attention there, but we look forward to hearing from you during this break. Take the time. If you disagree with us, we especially would like to hear from you at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. We'll take a break and we'll hope to hear from you on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hi, my name is Mike Smith, and I'm a member of the College of Church of Christ on Hampshire Pike. Let me ask you some questions. Do you remember when churches insisted on Bible authority for everything they did? Can you recall when church members always expected they thus saith the Lord? Can you remember when the church was well known for its book, chapter, and verse style of teaching and preaching? Are you upset because the church you're attending doesn't always, doesn't always approach things this way anymore? Does it concern you that elders and preachers don't seem to care about Bible authority at all? We're still striving to do everything according to the New Testament pattern. If you're looking for a church like the one you remember from the past, please visit us soon at the College of Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. Thank you for being a part of it. And please do participate with your phone call or with your email as we talk about premillennialism and the nation of Israel. We want to hear from you on the program tonight. We talked about premillennialism, Dad, about the fact that it is a, a common belief, and you outlined it uh, on the board there for us and very clearly uh, showed us what is believed. And there are several premises that are false that to go to justifying that doctrine. First, we've noted is the fact that God still has some open-ended promises that he needs to tie up before he can bring the world to the end, to an end because he made some promises that he didn't fulfill, couldn't fulfill because man messed up his plans, and now he's got to do some things so he can sort of tidy up his messes. Yeah, and that that's just we, – we've I think we've established that that is not the case. We could, well, let's let's take this a little bit further. So the 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 future kingdom is not needed for the unfulfilled promises because all the promises are fulfilled. 
A second part of that argument is that when Christ came the first time, Jacob, he actually intended to establish that kingdom so that those promises could be fulfilled. He really intended to be a king on earth and and that, uh, you know, he would uh, establish the kingdom then. Uh, that was his plan. That's what he came to do. That was the argument. But we know the scriptures teach that Christ never had a plan like that. In John 18, verse 36, when Pilate was questioning Jesus as he was on trial just before his crucifixion, Jesus answered and said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. So he was pretty clear that that was not the case. His kingdom was not of the earth. He didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. We could look to other places, but that one statement by Jesus is enough to show that that is not what he intended to do. Well, but that was towards the end of his time here on earth when he already realized he could he could read the tea leaves. He knew uh, that this was not going to happen. So he said, now is my kingdom not from hence. Well, wait, let's back up. Let's back up to the idea that the reason why he had to change his plans because the Jews rejected him. In other words, so the argument goes, he wanted to establish a kingdom, came to establish the kingdom, although there's no statement in the scriptures that, that prove that. What happened, though, unforeseen by him, is that the Jews rejected him and his plans failed. Now, first of all, just from a very bottom line consideration, to me, that's that, that borders on blasphemy that the almighty God can't do what he intends to do, that he can't he can't accomplish his purposes, that mortal men can stop God from achieving his purposes is to me just a blasphemous concept. But let's let's just take it at face value that the Jews rejected him. That's why he didn't get to be a king. Well, we can go way back earlier in his ministry, Jacob, go back into John chapter six, verse 15. Jesus was enormously popular among the Jews. And in John chapter 6, verse 15, when Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. There was a point in time, Jacob, when if Jesus had wanted to be king, he could have been. In fact, he took measures to avoid being forced into that position. He did not want it. He didn't intend for it. It wasn't part of his plan. If he had wanted it, he could have accomplished that, but it was never a part of his intention. And so, again, the premillennialists are wrong when they suggest that he planned to establish a kingdom and and was actually uh, prevented from doing so because of the unforeseen rejection of the Jews. It just right. so. so you're saying that he could have done it because he because if it was God's plan, God could make it where it would be fulfilled, and God would not have unforeseen events happening when he can tell what's going to happen in the future furthermore it doesn't make sense with the historical account because it, even uh in what the account that we have in with the historical account there is that they wanted him to be king so it just f- fails on all of those fronts exactly right it just doesn't work with the historical information that we have that the, the argument is uh, is flawed it just doesn't fit the information in the scripture you know there's another detail about the uh premillennial doctrine that you you mentioned there on your chart and that is the idea that the church was a stopgap effort jesus came he wasn't going to be able to do what he wanted to do so they threw the church in there sort of as a last ditch effort to i guess make the trip to earth not a total failure well he had to do something he had to do something he, last could, year. He, he couldn't he couldn't pull off his purpose his plan 
And so he had to do something to kind of hold time, to hold place in time until he could come back and be successful. Okay. And so the argument is the church was that. It was just that stopgap, that holding place in time until he can come again and be victorious. Yep, that does, that contradicts with a lot of what we read about the church in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, to the intent that now and to the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11, the church there being his eternal purpose. That's right. The, the church was not a stopgap. It was in his eternal plan. That's an important verse there, Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. Remember that verse. Church wasn't an afterthought. It was a, an eternal forethought of God to have the church. Now, part of the part of premillennialism, Jacob, argues that the kingdom, therefore, isn't here yet. Did you notice that? That he's going to come back again to establish his kingdom after the rapture, after the seven years of tribulation, after the battle of Armageddon is won, the kingdom will be established. And the argument is the kingdom is not here yet. Well, that doesn't work either. Well, it doesn't, because in Mark chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus said, and he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, there shall be some of you that stand here, which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Uh, he says that there were people there that he was talking to who would see the kingdom come with power. So either we've got some 2,000-year-old people hanging around someplace, and we haven't found them yet. They must be hiding in a cave in Palestine somewhere. So, or... Jesus was telling the truth, and the people of that generation saw the kingdom come. We believe the, we believe the latter. Obviously, we don't believe that there are still people living, waiting for the kingdom to come from 2,000 years ago when Jesus made that promise. They did see it in their generation. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse 12, the apostle Paul says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Notice the past tense. He has translated us into the kingdom. We are in the kingdom. Those who are Christians are in the kingdom. The kingdom, the spiritual kingdom of Christ is his church. It began on the day of Pentecost, just days after he was crucified and was resurrected from the dead. The kingdom came into existence on the day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 2. We're not waiting for the kingdom to come the church is not a stopgap. The church is the kingdom. That's the key. We're not waiting for the kingdom. The kingdom's already here, and the church is the kingdom. All right. Well, I understand what you're saying there, but there's something that the premillennialists teach that is very appealing, and that is that Jesus is going to come back to earth and going to establish a kingdom and reign on David's throne here on earth. What do you think about, uh, about that doctrine? That sounds pretty good. Well, it, I think I think there's some appeal to men with the idea of, you know, a victorious physical kingdom on earth. But there's nothing in the Bible that says that Jesus is ever going to set foot on the earth again. And the fact of the matter is it says Jesus is reigning right now. In Acts chapter 2, this is on the day of Pentecost when the first gospel sermon was preached. In Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 29, Peter was preaching. He said, David... This is Acts 2.29 beginning, David being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. And then he goes on to say in verse 33, this Jesus hath God raised up, 
whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost and so forth. So Peter was applying the promises concerning a descendant of, of David sitting on his throne. He's applying that to, to the resurrected Jesus. Jesus is reigning right now as a king over his kingdom. We're not waiting for that in the future. So he's, we're not waiting for a future reign of Christ. Peter says, said on the very first gospel sermon, Acts 2, that Jesus is reigning here and now. And then, and then we could combine with that that there's not any promise of Jesus ever setting foot on the earth again. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, we read that those which are alive and remain will be caught up together with the resurrected saints to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, that's a verse that's sometimes misused by people to teach the rapture. That's not talking about the rapture. That's talking about the final coming of Christ. And notice, the saints will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the clouds, and we, and so will we ever be with the Lord. There's no indication there that he's coming back at a future time, that he will set foot on earth, that he intends to establish a kingdom here on earth. And so with all those points in play, Jacob, I, I would just have to say, that premillennialism doesn't work and is not true to the things taught in the Scripture. Let me, we're almost up to a break, Jacob. Let me summarize real quickly. All the basic concepts of premillennialism fail the test of the Scriptures, what the Scriptures teach. First, God fulfilled all of his promises. There's no unfulfilled promises to be made or to be kept. Secondly, Christ never intended to establish a physical kingdom. He was not his his crucifixion at the hands of the jews was not a surprise it had actually been prophesied he could have been king if he wanted to but he refused to allow them to make him king at the time the church is not a stopgap it's an eternal part of god's plan and when jesus comes again he will not set foot on earth he's already reigning as a king over his kingdom so all of the premises fail that we've looked at tonight. Exactly right. All the premises, I think all the basic premises of premillennialism fail the test of what the scriptures teach. All right, we'll take our listeners' comments on that when we get back. And if you haven't put your comments into the mix, we hope you will. And you can do so by dialing 877-381-4567, sending your emails to questions at collegeview.com. Or tonight, you can check our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and send your comments in from our website. We're going to take a break and get this week's bullet point, and we'll continue on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Enjoying the Virtual Bible Study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. We can state categorically that every church has had, is having, or will have problems. This has been true ever since Pentecost. There's plenty of information in the New Testament about a host of problems that plagued the first century churches. Congregations today still struggle with a variety of problems. What should we do when these problems arise? Here are some suggestions. First, seriously analyze the situation. Don't just grumble and complain and certainly don't engage in sinful gossip and tailbearing. Really try to understand the problem and never forget that there are always two sides to every story. Be sure to get all the facts before jumping to a conclusion. Secondly, determine the proper solution to the problem. Is it a matter of doctrine? Is something false being taught or practiced? Are there specific individuals who are not behaving properly? If so, then go to the source and address the issue directly. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. If you fail to do this, you're compounding the problem and actually sinning by disobeying the commands of God. In other words, you become a part of a bigger problem. 
But on the other hand, is this problem simply a matter of judgment? If so, it may be best to simply submit to the judgment of others, as 1 Peter 5 verse 5 teaches, so that peace and unity can be preserved. Third, give your brethren the benefit of the doubt. True brotherly love certainly requires this, 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 7. And finally, pray. Faithful servants of God have always relied upon the power of prayer to deal with serious problems. Let's imitate their pattern. And so, yes, there will be problems. The real question is, will we handle our problems according to the will of God? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. This is Jared in Warwickshire, England. Listen to the chat from the virtual Bible study each Thursday night. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we are broadcasting around the world. We're broadcasting to your computer tonight, and we appreciate you tuning us in. We're looking forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We're talking about uh, the doctrine of premillennialism, and we have some comments from our listeners tonight. Let's uh, let's go to these comments. Remember, we put these comments out, and in fact, they're still up on our website. And you can just fill in the form and hit a submit button; it'll come right to us. In fact, Roger in London, Kentucky, has just done that. And so, let's take his answer: Will Jesus literally reign for a thousand years over a physical kingdom on Earth? He says no, for the kingdom of God is now in existence and is a spiritual kingdom. John eighteen verse thirty six. And is within the heart of the individual who allows Jesus to be his Lord, Luke 6:46. When the Lord returns the second time, it will be for the salvation of those who await him, Hebrews 9:28. Millennialism theology is based on a false premise that the church was an afterthought, not a preplanned institution. So Roger is arguing, uh, I think, pretty closely in line with the kind of things that we were just saying. So he sees it the way we do from the scriptures. That no, we are not looking for a future thousand-year kingdom of of uh, Christ on Earth. All right, thank you, Roger, for your pro, your comments on the program tonight. We have an email from Randy in Jackson, Missouri. He says he will reign over a kingdom for a thousand years with Earth-like characteristics. Whether or not it will be the current Earth isn't clear. Well, I think that uh, we're going to get to a passage in Revelation chapter twenty that definitely talks about. Uh, 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 Christ reigning and uses the concept of a thousand years in uh, Revelation 20 verse 4 John as he's describing the things he saw in the book of Revelation he said I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given to them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years so I would say Randy is right. There is a reference to a thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, I don't take the thousand years to be literal, and I certainly don't take it to be a reign here on earth upon the literal throne of David in the city of Jerusalem. But if you're going to say, will Christ reign, and does the Bible describe it as a thousand-year reign, it says that in Revelation 20, verse 4. But remember, the book of Revelation is a highly figurative book. In fact, here's an here's a worthy exercise. If you're listening and if you have your New Testament in your hand, go to Acts or excuse me, go to Revelation 20. It's the only place in the whole Bible that mentions the a thousand year reign. Revelation 20 is the only place you can't find it any place else in the Bible. But I want you to notice the context. I'm going to read this real quickly, Jacob. I already read verse four, but let me read the verses leading up to verse four, beginning verse one. Revelation 20, verse one. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit. And a great chain in his hand, 
And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw the thrones, and they that sat upon them, judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, and which did not worship the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Well, let's look at that context real quickly. I think you see immediately that this is a figurative context, not a literal one. The first verse talks about a bottomless pit. Well, can you have a pit, a literal pit that has no bottom in it? That's impossible, right? You could have a pit that's really, really deep, but every literal pit has a bottom in it. So a bottomless pit has to be a figurative expression. And then it talks about a great chain that could bind up Satan. Is there a literal chain that you could use to bind up Satan? Well, Satan's a spirit being. There's no literal chain you can use to to bind a spiritual being. That's obviously figurative as well. Now, the context then suggests that figurative expressions are being used. And I argue that the thousand-year reign of Christ is a figurative expression talking about a long period of spiritually peaceful reigning of Christ over his subjects. Uh, uh, In the book of Revelation, numbers are used symbolically. And I think the number thousand simply is meant to suggest a very long, peaceful reign of Christ over those in his kingdom. If it's literal, by the way, verse four says, if we're going to take this passage to be literal, it says that the ones who are going to reign with him are only those who have been martyred by being beheaded. Nobody else is going to reign with him. Only the beheaded martyrs will reign with him. But nobody believes that. No, no premillennialist I've ever talked to believes that. And so the only place in the, in the whole Bible that talks about the thousand-year reign of Christ is clearly a figurative passage. And to try to apply it literally causes a, a great problem. Now, back to Randy's answer. He said there's going to be a, a thousand-year reign of Christ. Well, that's what Revelation 20, verse 4 says. Uh, but... It's a figurative expression, not a literal one. We're not looking for a literal uh, kingdom. All right. Thank you, Randy, for those comments. David says, while this is a highly debated subject, I would say no. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world or age. His is a spiritual kingdom, the one body or his church. Why go back to offering sacrifices in a newly rebuilt temple, as they say? Why go back to the old covenant? This theory has many bad and serious implications. All right, I think David's right. And again, I would emphasize Colossians chapter 1. I think one of the better places to show that the kingdom and the church are one is Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 13, which talks about being translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So we are uh, already in the kingdom. Kingdom and the church are one. We need to understand, I think David is right about that. All right, you mentioned the thousand-year reign, and you admitted that there will be a thousand-year reign. You believe the thousand-year reign is occurring now? Yeah, I believe Jesus is reigning right now in a long, peaceful reign over his, over his spiritual subjects. In other words, we are at peace with God. Now, there may be turmoil in the world, but for those who are in the kingdom, we, we are enjoying a period of peace with God made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we, he's reigning on on the throne in heaven. We are his subjects in his kingdom and we enjoy spiritual peace as his subjects. All right. All right, let's hear from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Jason in Pennsylvania says, There isn't a verse that teaches that Jesus will set his feet on earth again. Revelation chapter 20, verses 
4 through eight, through 6, the only New Testament text that speaks of a thousand-year reign does not talk about it being on the earth. There also isn't a reason to take this text literally when chapter 1 says this book is written in symbols. He references the word signified in verse 1 of chapter 1, and it is to shortly come to pass, noting the uh, urgency of uh, making the revelation known. And so Jason says, no, there won't be a physical earthly reign of a thousand years. And I agree with, with Jason. You've got to be real careful in the book of Revelation about taking figurative expressions and applying them literally. And, and I think he's exactly right to point out that in the very first verse of the book of Revelation, it says to be looking for signs. These things were signified or spoken in signs. So I think Jason is right on that. All right, and we have Jim in Mount Pleasant who says Jesus is now reigning. It has been over a 1,000 years since his resurrection. Okay, I agree with Jim. Jesus is now reigning. That's what we've been pointing out, and Peter preached that on the day of Pentecost, that Jesus had already assumed his throne and that he was reigning as king over his kingdom. We've got, a, we've got a, an email that's come in from Joe who says the 1,000 years have been completed in the first century it is figurative. I agree. I think it is not how long he reigns, but how completely he is now reigning. I'm not sure exactly what Joe means by the thousand years have been completed in the first century. Maybe what he means, and I would agree with this if this is what he means, that that, that, that reign that is described with the uh, figurative uh, number 1,000, that long reign of Christ began in the first century and continues to this day. Uh uh, and it is figurative. I would agree with that. And, and he, he reigns completely over those who are in his kingdom. All right. We have Thank an e- you, Joe. We have an email from Johnny. Johnny says, whether it is a physical kingdom or not, regardless, Revelation 20, verse 4 says that Christ will reign for a thousand years. That we cannot dispute. The people that reign with Christ will be those that are beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. Whether this is here or there doesn't matter. Christ will reign. From what I see here, it is on the, this earth. You may see it different. That is your choice. I choose to believe the Bible. Well, it's not a question. I mean, we believe the Bible, too. It's a question of how we're going to understand what the Bible teaches us. Uh, I wouldn't want to leave the impression that we don't believe the Bible. We believe everything the Bible says about the kingdom of God, about the kingdom of Christ. An important uh, interpretation, though, of, of a passage like Revelation, when we're looking at a figurative passage, it's difficult to you know, it could go either way. The interpretation that we take of that passage must harmonize with the other clear passages that aren't symbolic and, and aren't figurative. The, the passages that we can clearly understand must harmonize with whatever interpretation we place on a figurative, uh, symbolic passage. That's right. I, I think that's a really great rule of Bible study that you just mentioned, Jacob. When, you have, when you're faced with a difficult passage, and, a lot, and most people agree the book of Revelation is one of the more difficult parts of the Bible, when you're dealing with a difficult part of the Bible— let the clear parts of the Bible serve as a commentary on that. And the other parts of the Bible are clear. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this earth. Therefore, that must be a true statement. That's, that, that was not figurative. That was literal when he said, my kingdom is not of this earth. Therefore, when we get over to Revelation and we read about him reigning over his kingdom, we have to assume it's talking about a spiritual kingdom. When we see that the kingdom is already in place, that Jesus is already reigning, and we know that Jesus is not on the earth reigning today, then we could conclude that it's not a literal earthly reign that is mentioned there in Revelation verse chapter 20. Exactly right. Okay. Uh, you want to take a break and then come back and talk about the children of Israel to the top of the hour? I think we better do that. All right. We look forward to hearing from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Are you listening? 
There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Me again, Mike Smith at the College of Church of Christ. Let me ask you some more questions. Do you remember when the pulpit was used for the purpose of convicting sinners and teaching them how to be saved? Are you tired of preachers who seem more inclined to entertain their audience than to teach them the truth? Does it seem that sermons you are, te- you are hearing each week could as easily be given in a PTA meeting or a social club? Do you remember when sin was called sin, yet at the end of the sermon you knew, by book, chapter, and verse, what the preacher was talking about and why? Well, we're still preaching the old Jerusalem gospel that you read about in your Bible. We invite you to investigate for yourself. Please come and see you this Sunday at the Cosby Church of Christ at 9.30 a.m. on Hampshire Pike. Hello, my name is Preston Jackson. I'm from Valdosta, Georgia, and I want to hear your comments. So if you have one, call 931-381-4567 or email your questions at questions at collegeview.com. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we are waiting for, to hear from you, and we do have time to take your call at 877-381-4567. Please call us if you agree with us, or especially if you disagree, we'd like to hear from you. And we also have time to take your emails at questions at collegeu.com. Now, we had a question you put, posed to us earlier today, Dad, about the children of Israel. Where the, the Jews. The, the Jews. Today's, the today's Jews. The, the physical nation of Israel. If they are still acceptable to God and, and, and a chosen people with him. Well, there are a lot of the premillennialists, as we've been pointing out, we've basically talked about premillennialism. I hope we've been able to show from the scriptures that it's a false theory. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit the scriptures. A lot of people believe in it. In fact, I think most denominations are teaching it now. And a, a part of that theory is obviously that the Jews still hold favored status in God's estimation. In fact, I have a quote from John Hagee, and many will recognize the name of John Hagee. He's a, he's a popular television preacher. He's well-known, and he's a strong premillennialist. Notice what he said. In order for Christ to return, certain biblical prophecies must be fulfilled. The temple must be rebuilt for a third time on the Temple Mount. The biblical kingdoms of Israel, including Judea and Samaria, will be united. This theology includes a loophole for the Jews, a preferential option for the Jews. Jews can be saved from eternal damnation because they are covered by the first covenant between God and his people. They get into heaven by what might be called a grandfather clause. And so there's an example. Well, you could multiply the examples of these premillennialists who believe that the Jews have special favored status in God's estimation. It's not true. Now, we agree, of course, that there was a time when the Jews were God's specially chosen people. And go, well, we've already referenced tonight the promises all the way back there in Genesis 12 to, to Abraham, Jacob. Certainly, there was a time when they held that favored status, but there's, it is no longer so. In Romans chapter 9, let me read Romans chapter 9, beginning verse 2. Paul says, I have a great heaviness and a continual sorrow in my heart for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. So they had all these great advantages. In other words, they were specially chosen. And the initial covenant that God made with them was special, the giving the law, the service of God. Even the coming of the Messiah was through them. They held a, a special favored status, but he says, I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for them. Now, why? He goes on in chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire, and this is Romans 10, verse 1, beginning, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. They're not saved yet. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. 
For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. And so the Apostle Paul, who himself was a Jew, said the Jews are not saved. And he was very sorry for that. They had great advantages. They had been in favored status, but now they had they had fallen from that favored status. Um, their favored position, Jacob, was not unconditional. Moses even warned them in Deuteronomy 8, beginning verse 19, it shall be if if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Uh, Moses warned them, if you become unfaithful, your your favored status with him is not unconditional. And John the Baptist, when he came warned the Jews. He said in Matthew 3, verse 8, Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say to you that God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Notice, concerning the nation of Israel, he said the axe is laid to the root of the trees. The reason why you, you take the root out when you take out a tree is because you don't want it to spring back up. Israel is not going to spring back up. Uh, the, the, the nation of Israel was special. They do not continue that special status. The covenant was limited. Uh, the, chosen, the time and purpose of Israel being a chosen people was limited. Uh, today, the spiritual Jews are his chosen people. Real quickly, Jacob, because we need to get to these other emails and we're going to run out of time. But notice these statements that say, who are the Jews today? Romans 2, verse 28, beginning. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Galatians 6, verse 15, beginning. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be unto them and mercy upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God today are those who are obedient in Christ. First Peter chapter two verse nine beginning. Ye are a chosen priesthood. A, uh, excuse me. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who had called you out of darkness into His marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but have obtained, but now have obtained mercy. We were not a people before we are now in Christ. And then finally, Galatians 3, verse 26, beginning, you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All of that says that now God's chosen people are not the physical Jews, but the spiritual Jews, and that is those who have been obedient in Christ. We have become his favored people. Well, if uh, we believe that the children of Israel are favored people of God and in a right relationship with them, then we have to conclude that you can spit in God's face, you can deny that his son that he sent uh, to the earth to save men from their sins, you can do all of that and still be in a right relationship with God and uh, simply doesn't compute. And let's go to our listeners' answers to add to your question. Are the children of Israel still God's chosen people? Well, Roger in London, Kentucky says no. Romans 8, verse 9, also chapter 4, verses 9 through 16, make it clear that the children of Abraham are those who manifest similar faith to Abraham. 
The Jew of today is the spiritual one who has undergone the new birth of John 3, 3 through 5. The future for all these is an eternity in heaven, and this is in accordance with God's eternal purpose for all humanity who will acknowledge the authority given to his son while in this life. Roger agrees, and we agree with Roger. Go ahead, Jake. Take another one. All right. You've got another one on your screen there. And then we have, uh, let's go with Johnny's email. Johnny says, right now, no, they are not. But in the future, yes. Romans 11, verse 25 tells us that they are currently blind until the fullness of the Gentiles are brought in. Romans uh, 25, 26, that's not 11, chapter 11, 11, 25, 11, 25 and 26 says, uh, then they shall be saved afterwards. 11, verse 25 of Romans. This, chapter, is, this is a favorite premillennial text. All right. 11, 25 uh, says that uh, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the, of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness is part in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of the uh, Zion, the, out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. All right. Now, as I said, this is a favorite premillennial text, but it's, it's misapplied. It says, blindness in part has happened to Israel until, the word means while, the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So the Gentiles are coming in, the Jews are blind to it. They're not accepting Jesus, and so the Gentiles are coming in. And so all Israel shall be saved, is what the King James Version says. Other versions says, and in this manner shall all Israel be saved. In other words, Israel, if they're going to be saved, is going to be saved the same way the Gentiles are saved. Gentiles are saved by faith and obedience to Christ Jesus, faith in Christ and obedience to his will. And in that same manner will the Jews be saved who are saved. The only Jews who are going to be saved are the Jews who come to believe in Christ and obey his gospel. No, and so if, if, we take, if we take the interpretation that they're looking for here, you'd have to agree every uh, physical Israelite would be saved. No exceptions here, right? Well, remember, if you take it the way that they want, to be, want it to be taken. Well, remember that, that uh, quote from John Hagee? There's a preferential option for the Jews. Jews can be saved from eternal damnation because they're covered by the first covenant between God and the people. They get into heaven by what might be called a grandfather clause. I wonder if John Hagee ever read Galatians chapter 3 that we were reading just a moment ago. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, when it says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Uh, Hagee and the premillennialist, and I think Johnny is suggesting the same thing here, is that there is a difference between Jews and Gentiles, and the Jews are favored, and the Jews can even get in on a grandfather clause. There's a preferential option for them. That's not what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, when he says there's no difference between Jew and Greek. All are one, and all can come to salvation in the same means. And that's what that passage that Johnny mentioned in, in Romans chapter 11, verse 26 says, in this manner shall all Israel be saved. In other words, Israel will be saved the same way the Gentiles are being saved, by coming to faith in Christ and obeying his gospel. All right. Jim in Mount Pleasant says, no Christians are those who are chosen in Christ. So he's in answer to the question, are are Jews still God's favorite people? He says no. No, now it's Christians. Uh, And uh, Jason in Pennsylvania says, I don't believe that the Jews are still God's chosen people. The promises that were given to Israel and Abraham were fulfilled. God's promises to Abraham regarding his descendants had three parts. They would be made into a great nation, verse 2, numbered like the stars or sand, for 20, chapter 22, verse 17 of Genesis. His seed would receive the, the land of Canaan, uh, chapter 22, verses 5 and 7. 
and in him all families of the earth would be blessed, chapter 22, verse 3. All these promises to Abraham have been fulfilled. They were brought out of, the, of Egypt, a great nation. They received the land of Canaan as promised, and all of the nations of the earth are being blessed through Christ. Israel rejected Christ, and in doing so, rejected the Father also. The best text I have seen used to prove that God will turn his focus back to the Jews is Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. But Paul gives in verse 23 the condition of this happening if they do not continue in unbelief. They have to accept Christ as the Messiah. Exactly right. Verse 23 there, we didn't read that, but just before, Jason brings our attention to verse 23. They also, that is the Jews, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. But and then that, got, goes, that, that ties into verse 26, where you said in, in this manner. Just like the Gentiles. Yeah. They're going to be saved the same way the Gentiles will be saved. Exactly right. All right. Good, good comments, Jason. Good analysis there. Appreciate it. David says no. Why? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, and many more could be given. Again, he's saying, no, the Jews are not still God's favored people. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, he begin, He wants us to read beginning verse 11. We can't read all of that, uh, but it, it's talking about the Jew-Gentile difference and that it's been taken away, uh, especially verse uh, 13. Now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That is, Gentiles were brought nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And so, again, the difference between Jew and Gentile, physical Jew and Gentile, has been abolished. And the Jews don't have a special favored position anymore. We've got an email coming in uh, from someone who who identifies himself as steadfast. Could be a herself as steadfast. Could be, could be sure. a her. Yeah. Uh, says God showed that He was finished with the Jews when He destroyed the temple. The outward part of Judaism was completely destroyed. Now Christ is the new temple for the people of God. The fleshly outward worship of God gave way to the spiritual in Christ. Well, we believe, uh, and I, I would agree. I, I, I think that um, the nation of Israel ceased to exist and could never really be established effectively according to the Old Testament pattern. Because when the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., all the genealogical records and all that pertained to that was destroyed. You, the Jews couldn't help to they, – they could not hope to reestablish their worship again today if they had to. They can't. It's not possible because of the, the ultimate punish that God, punishment that God sent upon the Jewish nation in 70 A.D. Got an email from Jack who says, if literal language is used in Revelation, how do we explain in these two passages of Revelation – Chapter 1921 and chapter 20, verse 5, which indicate two resurrections. There's not going to be two resurrections, only one. See John 5, 28 and 29, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. This chapter is using figurative language, and as such, the language here to include a thousand years is also figurative. We can't pick and choose which parts are literal and which parts are figurative. I agree with Jack completely. By the way, I, I, I suggested this earlier, but we never got back to it. You notice that if you look back at that chart... The, the premillennialists believe that at the rapture, at the beginning of the seven years of tribulation on earth, there'll be a resurrection of the righteous, and they will join the raptured living saints to go to be with the Lord for seven years. And, and while they're away, there'll be this period of, of tribulation on earth. After the thousand-year reign, they believe at the final judgment will be the resurrection of the evil. They've got a big problem with that. Notice they've got the, the resurrection of the evil separated from the resurrection of the righteous by a, at least a thousand and seven years. 
John chapter 5, verse 28, beginning, says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. In a single hour, all the dead, the righteous and the, the wicked will be resurrected. The theory of premillennialism has those resurrections separated by at least a thousand and seven years. Jesus said it'll happen within an hour. All right. And finally, Randy in Jackson, Missouri, has a differing view of this. He says yes to the question, do you believe the children, the, the Jews are still God's chosen people and that they hold a special place in his plans for a future kingdom on earth? Randy answers yes. There are many places in Revelation where the tribes are mentioned sometimes by name. I really don't think the Gentiles are going to be divided into tribes and given the same names as the original Jewish tribes. Also, Romans chapter 11, verse 26, indicates that all Israel will be saved. We don't know for sure how that is going to happen, but it will. Well, we've already commented on Romans 11, and we're just out of time, so we won't mention that. But in, in the book of Revelation, the 12 tribes of Israel are mentioned. I believe it's figurative. In other words, it's a figurative concept about God's people. God's people in the past were the physical 12 tribes of Israel. Now God's people are the Israel of God, the spiritual Israel. But it's figurative. I don't think it's literal. And so I don't think Revelation 7 is is that text that mentions all 12 tribes of Israel. By the way, it's not an accurate listing of the 12 tribes. Uh, Look at it. It's figurative. I don't think we can say that that would indicate that there's a special place for physical Israel in the future of God's plan. Randy is consistent in his interpretation of 11, chapter, Romans chapter 11, verse 26, where he says all Israel will be saved. We, we pointed out that if you're going to take it that the way that they want to take it, that you have to admit that all Israel will be saved. And if you're going to take it that way, then that includes all Israel. Those who have no interest in serving God, that would include Judas. Well, that would include, I understand that there's a high percentage of atheists in physical Israel today. The nation of Israel today has a high percentage of atheists. A lot of, of ethnic Jews from Russia immigrated to Israel because they were being persecuted in Russia and they were welcomed into Israel. They don't even believe in God, much less Jesus. But, but if, that, that verse says that they'll all be saved. Right. So that, that uh, may... May need to adjust our interpretation of that passage because that can't be. Exactly right. We're out of time, Jacob. All right. We have had a good discussion, and there may be some who listen to the program tonight or in its archived version who disagree with what we've said, and we would especially like to hear from you if you disagree or if you have any question and would like clarification about what we have said on the program tonight. If you have any question or comment and you'd like to contact us, you can do so over the phone or, or over email at any time. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Thank you, Jacob. And thank you for listening. We hope that you have benefited from our discussion of God's Word. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College 
College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.